0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Have you ever taken a bite and been blown away? Mm. Many, many years ago, many years ago, back when the dinosaurs were still roaming the land, I took a bite of key lime pie made with real limes from the keys. And I can't tell you where I went. (laughs) I was gone. The explosion of sweet and sour in my mouth blew me away. The friends who were with me said, I had my eyes closed, I had a delightful look on my face, and they didn't want to bother me. (laughs) I was gone. You ever have that moment? In fact, in the 2007 movie, the animated movie, Ratatouille, some of you will know that, uh, you remember Anton Ego was the food critic, and uh, he was a sour man who gave very tough reviews, and if you remember at the end of the movie, Linguini the Chef and Remy the Rat, you remember this movie. If you don't, it's okay. Just go with me. Uh, they served Anton a bowl of ratatouille. In fact, in fact, instead of me trying to explain it to you, watch this video. It's a little silly of a video, but it makes the point that when you taste some things, it transports you back, doesn't it? Sometimes you'll take a bite of something and you go, and I remember a time. For me, every time I eat key lime pie, <laughs> I remember that day many, many, many decades ago when I had that first bite that blew me away. It's something similar to what the apostle Peter tells us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. Uh, we've been in the book of First Peter now for just a couple of weeks. And we're in the third week and we come to the end of chapter 1 and The Apostle Peter is talking to a bunch of Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, who are under tremendous persecution because of their faith. They're under intense trials and sufferings because they claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage these people who are under such pain and under such trial to remain unshaken to remain unshakable because of the unshakable hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And so we've looked for the last two weeks at the fact that Jesus is our hope, and that hope brought to us by grace transforms our conduct, and it empowers us to be holy as God is holy. Now today, we come to the third message in the series, and today we're going to experience... Tasting, we're not going to taste right ratatouille or key lime pie. We're going to taste the goodness of God. Amen. The goodness of God, and Peter is going to remind us that the goodness of God should transform the way we live and the way we love. We're going to be in First Peter chapter one, starting in verse twenty-two. But that's the idea I want to leave with you this morning: that we need to taste the goodness. Of God. There are two truths I want to leave with you this morning that come for those of us who have tasted the goodness of God. And the first is that we must love one another. Notice verses 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, But of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And all God's people said, amen. "Amen." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We must love one another. So in this passage, there's a command. The command is found at the end of verse 22. It simply says, love one another deeply from a pure heart. But that command is surrounded by two clauses, one before and one after, that essentially give us the basis and the reason for why we are to do what Peter tells us to do, and that is to love one another. The basis of that command to love is found at the beginning of verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So the command to love one another is rooted in the fact that you and I and these believers in Christ are in fact believers in Jesus Christ. The very fact that you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ is the basis and the foundation for which Peter tells us love one another. You see, none of us were born saved. We were born dead. We were worthless, hopeless, destitute, bound for hell. Jesus intersected our lives through his truth with the grace of God, and that allowed you and me to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the moment we did, we were saved, praise God. Jesus came into our lives, and we were added into a new family. We are now believers in Christ, but not just believers. We are brothers and sisters in one family, serving one God in one faith and one word. We are part of a new family. And because we are part of a new family, we are too... Help me out. Oh, yeah. Let's try that again. It's really weak. <laughs> because we are... F- brothers and sisters in Christ, and part of one family, we are to. Thank you. Do you guys love your families? Generally? Do you love them all the time? No. But do you still love them? That's the point. You see, we can all look different and act different and behave different and have different beliefs and different viewpoints. But the central truth that binds us together is that Jesus is Lord of our lives and that we are in his family. That's the reason we can love one another. Amen? We are called to love one another. Notice here that he calls us to love a, different, a specific way. He calls us to love sincerely. Did you see that? To have a sincere brotherly love. You know the word sincere, you may have heard this. It comes from two Greek words. It comes from sina. Sire. It, it literally means without wax. We are to love without wax. Isn't that wonderful? <clears throat> in New Testament times, when you went to the market to buy pots and pans, those pots and pans were typically made out of ceramic. And for those of you who know ceramics, you know how fragile they are. They're easily cracked and they damage easily. And so if, if you had some pots and pans that, that you were trying to sell that had cracks in them, the simple way to get rid of them was to put wax on it. They'd, they'd, so they'd cover those cracks or those, the damage with, with wax, and, and it would be really hard to tell that that pot that you were about to buy had a crack in it. Honest merchants would have put a sign over their stall that said, Sina Sire, meaning without wax. Do you understand what Pope Peter is saying? That when you and I love the family of God, we are to do it without wax, <laughs> The opposite of the word senesere or sincere, you'll get this, is the word hypocrisy. You see, we are to love without masks, love without wax, love that is unfaked, love that is real, love that is genuine. I could go on and on with synonyms, but you get the point, right? When we as family look at one another, we have to see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, we love. We love unfaked. We love without wax, we love real, we love genuine. That's the basis for our love. And that's why the Apostle Peter here says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It starts with Jesus. Now he calls us in this command to love earnestly. The word earnestly could also mean fervently or deeply. But it really has the picture of a of a person who's stretching or straining towards a goal picture the foot a football player a running back who just gets the ball at the goal line and his number one goal is to get that ball where over the goal line and so with every ounce of strength and energy in his body he is going to try to get that ball over that goal line well that's the picture That's the kind of intensity with which you and I are called to love one another. We are called to love earnestly. So having heard the description of how intense our love is to be, can I ask you, does that describe a cold love? It's an easy answer, guys. (laughs) Is that a mechanical kind of love? No, no. It's a hot kind of love, a love that burns deep within us because it's earnest, it's fervent, it's trying to get love to the other person because we're commanded to love one another. By the way, is it just as easy to just say, go ahead, love one another? Go ahead. You guys ready? Go ahead, turn it on. (laughs) Show me what love one another looks like. You guys, what do you think? You're going to, I'm going to ask them in just a minute. How about you guys, no? Can you just turn it on? Is it as simple as saying, go ahead, love one another? No, it isn't, is it? It's not easy at all. In fact, it's the hardest thing to do because <laughs> we're all different. We act different. We behave different. We look different. Then how is it that we can do what Peter tells us to do. To be honest, when I look at myself and as I prepared for this message, I I thought about my love and how I loved. I found that sometimes I'm very, very selfish. The word sometimes is wrong. Oftentimes, I'm selfish. I love so that I can be loved in return. Sometimes I love to make myself look good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sometimes I love to make me feel good. How about you? Yeah? But that's not what the Apostle Paul Peter here is telling us. He says, no, 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 no. See, when we look at love, Demonstrated by Jesus, as we're added into the family of God and as we use that foundation for this command, our love isn't based on selfishness, our love isn't based on how we look or where we're from or our economic status or our political views or whatever sports team we root for. Love, real, genuine, earnest love trumps all that. It sees Jesus in the other person and loves because of it. And as simple as that. Now, can I just take a quick advertisement break just for a second? That's why we at Woodside encourage groups. You see, groups aren't designed just to keep you off the streets at night and keep you out of trouble. That's not what the point of groups are. Groups are designed to give you the space to practice this command. You see, it's hard to love from a distance. I mean, just look at ourselves in this room. We're so spread apart, not because of COVID, this is just a big room, <laughs> right? It's hard to love because we don't know everybody. And that's what groups does. It brings us together in a smaller venue, in a smaller context to give us space to obey this command. I'm part of a group. I experience love and I give love in the context of a group and it helps me obey this command. Folks, if you're not in a group, may I encourage you, sign up. It's, it's nothing to be afraid of. The worst that's going to happen is people are going to love you. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that's the worst that's going to happen. People are going to love on you. They're going to obey this commandment on you. Sign up. And, uh, end of commercial. But that's, but that's what the apostle Peter here is trying to tell us. Love one another. Now, the, now, why should we love one another? Notice verses 23 to 25. It gives us the second clause, and, the, and this is the reason why we are to love one another. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You see, the ability to love one another starts with the living and abiding word of God. That's the reason. Why? We are to love one another. You see, the word imperishable here means not being subject to corruption or to decay. It's imperishable. It doesn't decay. It doesn't get corrupted. And then Peter then goes on in the next two verses to quote from Isaiah 40. He says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You see, every single one of us here was born through perishable seed. Every one of us. How do I know that? Because every one of us, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, every single one of us in this room will die. That's how I know. But you see, when the gospel is presented to us, and we gave our hearts and life to Jesus Christ, we are no longer perishable seed because the word of God is imperishable. It doesn't decay. It doesn't get corrupted. It never fails. It's unchanging, undefeatable, and when that word of God gets sown in your heart, you are transformed from from perishable to imperishable because the word of the Lord remains forever. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are born again through the living, abiding, powerful Word of God. You see, we are here today and gone tomorrow, but Jesus and His Word, He never changes. He never disappears on you. He never gives up on you. He's never defeated. He's always there, always the same, powerful to rescue and to save. Therefore, those who have been born again through the Word of God, you see, that's the kind of people we are. We are forever people. We are people who, like the Word of God, last forever. Unchanging, powerful, alive, because that's the Word of God that's been planted in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Can you think of another time when we needed to think about this? The fact that the unchanging, powerful Word of God saturating our hearts and making us part of his family, giving us the impetus to love one another. Think of a time when we needed such a relevant message. In a time that we live in full of disease and full of strife and full of conflict and full of disagreement with COVID and racial injustice and a presidential election just a month away, the disagreements and the conflict and the divisiveness seems to be at an all-increasing pitch. And yet in the midst of this, this is not any different than what Peter is writing to, to these Christians in the Roman Empire who under, are under such persecution. And he tells them, in the midst of your pain, love one another. Love one another. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say that people will know that you love me because of the sports team you root for or the political party you hold affiliation to or whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, right? He didn't say any of that. What did he say? He said, people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Folks, we are planted here in Chesterfield to be a light. So that when those outside of the church and outside of this family look at us, they will see something different. They will see people who have tasted the goodness of God and because we have, we love one another. And that will transform lives. That will totally transform people. We are called to love one another as a body of people who have been born again through the living word of God love should characterize us and this family here in Chesterfield so may I ask you a question this morning church how are we doing how is our how is our love we're on the first sunday of october so let me ask you just think back to september it's just a couple weeks ago think of your social posts think of your conversations Think of all of the times where you had a conversation or a disagreement. How did we demonstrate love? May I encourage you and, and me myself as a, as a believer in Christ that we ought to be people who respond with love. But it doesn't matter what view the other person holds. If they're a child of God, our response should first and foremost be, help me out, love. Yeah, thank you. You're paying attention. Love. That's the first truth that flows out of the fact that we have tasted the goodness of God. The second truth that flows out of that is we are to grow up and love. We are to grow up and love. Notice verses, or chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If we're going to love each other deeply and earnestly, then there's some, there's some work that you and I have to do as believers in Jesus Christ. There's some things that we need to get rid of because they went out of style the moment we became part of a, the family of God. And so Peter here in, in chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us to put off some things. The the phrase put off has the idea of taking off dirty old clothes because, well, it's no longer fitting for those of us who are in this new family. And he gives us a list, a list of five things, five behaviors and attitudes that we need to get rid of, that we need to sweep out of our lives because these behaviors and attitudes are the opposite of love. They're destructive to relationship. They're a hindrance to us as believers loving one another. Look at, look at this list. The first on that list is malice. Malice, it's a general word for evil. It's when a person has an intention possibly even to do harm to someone. Deceit is, a, is the practice of deceiving one, someone. It's, it's the idea of baiting the hook and playing the trick on someone to get your own way. Hypocrisy, oh, you all know hypocrisy, right? Remember, it's from the Greek theater where a person will put on a mask to play a part on stage where we're pretending to be someone or something we are not. Envy, it's rooted in covetousness. It's jealousy at the success of someone else. It's also happiness at the misfortune of someone else. It works on both sides. And the last one on that list is slander, speaking evil. Of someone to their harm it literally means to speak down on someone you know the thing that all of these things have in common they're destructive to a loving healthy relationship if you have these things in our lives they prevent us from loving and the truth is that in my life oftentimes i let these things back in and it prevents me from loving It makes me a hostile, argumentative person who wants to get my way because I'm naturally selfish. And I have to force myself to remember, no, 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 I'm not that way anymore. God has transformed me. I have been called to love one another. I've got to sweep these things out of me. By the way, that doesn't start with me. It starts with His Word implanted in me and it gives me the power to sweep these things out of my life. And until and unless we do, We cannot be loving people who can obey the commandment to love one another. Now, when we say no to destructive behaviors and appetites, what it leaves behind is a lingering hunger. You see, when we say no to certain things, then it leaves a void. But that void, that lingering hunger can be shaped can be strengthened in wholesome and healthy ways. And Peter tells us how to do that in verse number 2. He says the healthy and wholesome alternative to these bad behaviors is to long for the pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk is another word for the Word of God. Now let me be clear. And you, if you've been in church long enough and you've read your Bibles, I pray that you have... There's other parts of the Bible where it talks about milk is for weak babies and and meat is for mature Christians, all right? That's not what Peter's talking about. There's no connotation here that milk is is for weaklings and that we ought to be going after meat. That's that's not the context. The context here is that you and I as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to have a craving for the Word of God just like a newborn infant craves what? What? Milk, milk. How often do you feed a baby? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a mother in here, there's several. You feed them a lot. Remember when I had my children? Every two hours, you're up in the morning, you're not sure what day it is, you're not sure where, if the sun's gonna rise again, but you're gonna feed that baby. Babies have a way of telling us unmistakably that they are hungry don't they can you imagine ever feeding a child once a week or how about once a day but then when we come to the word of God why do we think it's okay to read it just once a week why do we think it's okay for the spiritual gift that God has given us that it's okay to just feed it once a day Peter is telling us through his word, through God's word, that the craving in our heart for this word should be the same as a baby craving mother's milk. By the way, the word here is long. I don't like that word. The long for is better understood, crave. You know what the word craving means? It means a deep desire that leads to vigorous action. You ever crave chocolate? <laughs> What do you do? You will hunt the whole house to find a piece of chocolate. Why? It's an all-consuming desire. God, help anybody who gets in your way. That's the picture. You all got that in your mind, right? That's the picture for all of us who are believers in Christ to have for this book. You see, we ought to crave this book like you crave chocolate or like a baby craves milk because this is living and powerful and nourishing, has everything you need for life and godliness. And it doesn't matter how bad the world is. It doesn't matter whether your life is falling apart or not. The things that happen in our life may be because we don't spend enough time here. And the apostle Peter says, we need to crave Long for, desire, the pure spiritual milk. You realize that growth is a sign of vigorous health? Physical growth is limited by age, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Physical growth is limited by age, but do you realize spiritual growth has no limit? There's no limit. Spiritual growth is unlimited, unfettered. You can keep growing because of the fullness of God and His majesty, you can grow forever. The question is, will you? Will I submit to grow in Christ through the living, nourishing, powerful Word of God? It was 1995. Gaylord uh, Kambarami was the um, president of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe. He went to a rural village to pass out Bibles and in that process he met a very belligerent man who wanted nothing to do with the Bible and he encouraged the man to take it anyway. He was a skeptic and the skeptic said, look, if you give me that Bible, I'm going to roll those pages and use them for cigarettes. Kambarami said, that's fine, you go ahead and do that, but before you do promise me you will read that page. The man said, okay, that's fine. And those two went their separate ways 15 years later. Kambarami was speaking at a convention. And just before the meeting closed, a man stood up in the back and said, I have something to say. That man doesn't remember me because when he first met me, I was a drunk. And he was trying to get me to take a Bible, but I refused. And in fact, I insisted that if he gave me that Bible, I would roll those pages and I would smoke them as a cigarette. And he told me I could do that as long as I was willing to read. And so I did. And so I smoked through Matthew, and I smoked all of Mark, and I got through smoking Luke, and I got to John, and I started smoking John, and I got to John 3, 16, and I couldn't smoke any longer. You see, I couldn't smoke any longer because the Word of God had transformed me. That man, after eating the Word of God, could not go any further because the Word of God transformed him, made him into the man God wanted him to be, added him into the family and that man now preaches the gospel in all over Africa. <clears throat> That's what the Word of God can do. If you haven't experienced that power coursing through you, then you haven't spent enough time here. Now, perhaps you're looking at me and you're saying, but Abe, I have no desire. <laughs> I have no craving. What do I do? What do I do if I, have, I don't have that Craving or that desire? I'm so glad you asked because the answer is in verse number three. <clears throat> now, wonderful how it works. Verse number three says, "If indeed you have tasted the, that the Lord is good." I don't like the word "if." You're getting a whole lot of the Abe Standard Version. <clears throat> the word "if" should be better translated "since," because it's a quote from Psalm 34, where it says, "Oh, taste and see." that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts their trust in in you. It's not an if. It's not calling into question whether you have tasted or not. What Peter is trying to get you and me to see is, since you have tasted the goodness of God, since the goodness of God has overwhelmed you, since the goodness of God has added you into the family of God, then there ought to be a response. There ought to be a response to love one another and a love for God's word. That's the proper response when you have tasted the goodness of God. You see, we cannot just taste the goodness of God and remain the same. The goodness of God transforms us and it leaves us wanting more of Him and less of me. And it starts when we taste Him and we see how good God is. My friends, this world offers us so much, but none of it lasts. But God offers stuff that lasts forever, that lasts for all eternity. You remember at the beginning, I talked about ratatouille and how Anton had one taste of that stew, and it transported him years in the past when he had fallen off his bike and busted his knee, and his mom made that very same stew And it calmed and soothed a broken heart. Folks, the goodness of God that you tasted should remind you of who God is should remind you of the cross, should remind you of the Savior who on three nails hung, bleeding for you and for me. The goodness of God that you tasted should remind you that He didn't hang there because of any sin on His part, but He hung there because of you and because of me. That He died in my place so that I can have life. Have you tasted the goodness of God? Then it's time to reflect. It's time to remember. And as we remember how great God is and the goodness that he has given to us, it should spur in our hearts a desire to love one another and to love God's word. And it should transform us with that kind of a powerful response that the world will have to take notice and say, there's something different about that church. There's something different about those people. They're weird. They love each other. Do you know some of them are right and some of them are left and some of them are blue and some of them are red, but they still love each other. What's wrong with them? Oh, no, no, there's nothing wrong with us. We've tasted the goodness of God. We've tasted the goodness of God, and as a result, the response is to love one another. Folks, Pastor Andrew is going to come just in a minute, and we're going to enjoy communion. But perhaps you're here this morning, and you have never tasted the goodness of God. We're so glad you're here. Because... This world can't offer you anything that lasts, but the Word of God does last. It it remains forever. Jesus never perishes. He lasts forever, and He's asking you this morning to come and taste of Him, to taste and see how good He is. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ by faith, today would be a great day to come to know Him by faith. Don't leave here this morning without coming to know Him, to come to taste Him, To come to be part of the family. To give that response back to him to say how good and wonderful it is to taste the goodness of God. But if you are here and you have tasted the goodness of God, I praise God for you. But let this word burn in your heart. And encourage us to love. And as we take the elements of communion today. As we taste the bread. And as we taste the juice. Remember that God is good. Let it remind you of that day when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Remember the fervency, the love, the energy, the response that you gave to him when he first intersected your soul. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself to us today.